After years of working for companies such as Salesforce, Amazon, and Oracle, Kathy Polinsky joined Stitch Fix in 2016 and now serves as a CTO. Since her early days working on her first computer, an Apple IIc, Kathy has loved technology, and it was the technological challenges at Stitch Fix that attracted her to the job. How could she help disrupt the world of online shopping? How could she make a technological flywheel that could feed the company and the customer equally, over and over, getting better and better with each experience? In this episode of IT Visionaries, Kathy talks to Ian about just that, what it means to create a culture that allows employees to do good work and avoid burnout, and her philosophy on what it means to be a CTO today. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps. Welcome to IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer at Mission.org. In a city right across the bay from me, Kathy Polinsky, how's it going? Going great. Thanks for having me. So we have an awesome episode for our listeners today. Kathy has an extensive background in both IT tech engineering, lots of companies that you've heard of like Yahoo, Oracle, Amazon, Salesforce, and most recently, Stitch Fix. So Kathy, how'd you get into uh, to the IT and tech world? So I had my first computer in elementary school, an Apple II uh, C, and I've always been fascinated with math and solving problems. Uh, ended up studying computer science in college and jumping into the industry right during the dot-com boom. You know, uh, this is a quick aside, but I, uh, so I learned on an Apple II GS that are like playing Oregon Trail with, with my family. But, yeah. My brother wrote his, his junior thesis on Elmo talking type. <laughs> so like no fancy word processors uh, back then, but Elmo talking type get, got the job done. There you go. That's great. You know, you had a, you had a major in computer science, obviously a, a love for technology. What was like available at the time? What were you excited about? What were you thinking of going into? Or was it kind of like, I just need a job? Well, when I grew up, I didn't have anyone that worked near me that was in the business industry, let alone the tech industry. When people talked about what I want to do after school, I had, I had no idea what that even looked like or, or what the possibilities were. So even though I was studying computer science, I didn't understand what a job in computer science would look like, what a job uh, doing computer develop, software development, computer programming would be either. But I had a few internships while I was in school, and that really solidified that you know, there, there's just really interesting problems out there and just loved the work environment of, of being in tech and being in software development. And so um, I think that's always been the thing that's been mo- I've been most passionate about is, is just getting to solve interesting problems, whether it's been doing it by writing programs to do it or by thinking about organizational design and strategy. But I love that I could do that every day and that we're in an industry that's changing every day. So we always have the ability to learn something new. Yeah, you really are. I mean, Stitch Fix is such a cool company. Can you share some of like the scope of your work and what what like kind of the volume, what like IT and, and technology looks like at Stitch Fix? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, can I start by explaining a little bit about what Stitch Fix does and then have that go into the scope of the org? Absolutely. Sure. So Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service and we're disrupting how people can find and, and buy things online. So you go to Stitch Fix, you fill out a very detailed style profile with hundreds of questions about things, your interest about uh, apparel, so your fit preferences, your style preferences, your price preferences, whether you like plaid or not, or whether you hate red. And then we run dozens of machine learning algorithms against that, assign you into a personal stylist who puts together a fix for you, sends it to your house, try it on at home, you pay for what you keep, you send back the rest, and we pay for shipping both ways. So it's, it's a very data-intensive model, and we get better and better over time the more we get to know someone. Isn't that just so exciting? Like, I think when stuff like this comes out at first, and you're like, man, this is a really good idea. This is so cool and exciting. But what you don't think of as the consumer is that it's not like a try one time sort of thing. It's like, this is going to get so much, like what this looks like in 10 years is so much better and more personalized and exactly what I want. I think that that's like some of the innovation in this space is, especially with AR and VR and we can get into that sort of stuff. But gosh, it's just so exciting as a consumer to be like, this is going to get even better and better the more I use the product, which is always fun. Absolutely. And that, that's just this amazing thing. We talk about this flywheel of data and that the more information that someone shares with us, the better we get, the better we do, the more that they want to continue sharing with us. And, and so we just keep building and building on that strong relationship as we get to know someone better and better. And then as we get to know more and more clients, we get better for the whole ecosystem as well. And so that's, yeah, I, I get excited about that every day. You mentioned the flywheel of data. The flywheel is a very uh, Jeff Bezos, Amazon-centric idea. Well, not not that he created it, but you spent you spent some early time at Amazon. Did that? Did you learn that there? You know, I definitely learned the growth mindset at Amazon. Jeff Bezos was relentless at thinking bigger and thinking about being a, a growth company. Never wanted to be compared in the same sentence as a, a company smaller than itself. And uh, that's something that I've really admired and have always looked for in other opportunities of, of being in a disruptive space like Salesforce, like Stitch Fix, where we have just so much more opportunity ahead of us. The companies are, are different and they've got you know, different DNA to them, but I've always admired Jeff about that. Yeah. I mean, you, you said that you were drawn to the technical challenges of uh-huh. Stitch Fix, which kind of reminded you of Amazon's early days when you were there. What were some of those technical challenges that you saw that were exciting? Well, I was coming in at a similar time that in the company as when I was at Amazon. And so there's... Being in a retail space, there's a lot of operational aspects of the job, whether it's in the fulfillment centers or in the customer support centers. Also being in a time where there's just rapid growth and I've had to double my team size since I started. And so those, those are really interesting, not just technical challenge, but there's a physical aspect to them as well. And I saw a lot of those parallels. Man, doubling a team. That's, uh, that's some fun stuff. So what is the scope of your role as CTO at Stitch Fix? So as CTO at Stitch Fix, my organization spans across software engineering, IT, product design and product management, as well as security. And so it's a, it's a broad scope. I manage everything in technology except for the data science team, which we feel like is highly specialized and unique and great to have Eric Colton leading that area. 
that's really fascinating. You are like truly the, the new CIO, like you are the new hybrid CIO where you're looking at both sides of the business. Obviously, you know, it's a B2C company ultimately, so that it's, it's different from some of the other like B2B CIOs that we talk to, but being able to see both sides of the business, is that something that was planned ahead of time? Did you know that going in or is this something that has been developed over the last few years? So when I came on, I just was leading engineering with the idea that I would be building out a product management design organization. And it was only after about six months that I was also asked to, to lead the IT organization and spin up security as well. And so I think some of this has just been organically as we've been going through growth and figuring out the right organizational structure and roles and responsibilities that we want to have across the organization. What did that conversation feel like? I mean, what, 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 what was that? You know, hard. Um, you know, certainly uh, for for IT, for instance, we were we're going through some change, and Katrina just had a conversation with me. Katrina, like being our CEO, and I was you know happy to to dive in in that area. The product management space was a very interesting and a little contentious on how we evolved that organization, mainly because there wasn't consensus that we needed it. We had really grown up without product management and hired a lot of engineers with a, a product-centric mindset. And, and so there wasn't an understanding of what great product management looked like and, and how that would impact the rest of the organization. Now, all the teams that don't have product management at the company are begging to have product managers. So I think we've really made that, we've made that transition really well. Like, What are the demands from... Stitch Fix employees internally around IT. I mean, is there a or are there unique challenges that you see with having your hands in in both internal and external facing stuff? It's interesting because even in the software engineering side, there are internal and external demands, just like the same goes for the IT organization. So for Stitch Fix, that actually makes a lot of sense that the two are together and we get a lot of benefit having the engineers working together and collaborating together in the same organization. But I, I think one of the things that's interesting is when you think about the software we're building, we're not just building the applications that our customer sees or the mobile app, but we're also building applications for our merchandising team to do because it's so important for us to, to get the right product and the right quantities for the right styles and sizes. And so we build a lot of custom technology for that. We also have the application that our more than 4,000 stylists use every day to style fixes for our clients. So that's a lot of the great IP that we're building in-house. We build all the applications that run our fulfillment centers. And uh, we have five around the US and are going to be doing our international expansion this year. And so, so that has already been part of, of our tech culture for a very long time. And so it's been a little bit easier, I think, for, for someone in my role to be thinking across both organizations. That's really interesting how many applications you build that affect kind of the supply side almost of the business and then also internally. How do you do governance? Like how are you looking at all of these applications? Well, it's interesting. When I started, more than two-thirds of the team was working on a lot of that internal facing technology. And in some ways I felt like the balance was off. The team had a time to to focus on some of the acquisition and conversion types of features or great client engagement and retention features. So we've definitely been building like up. you mean growth stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that. I mean, what what is really you know acquisition revenue side revenue generation the marketing side of the business? 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I'd say for the first five years of the company, all the growth was, was done organically. Word of mouth, clients who were sharing videos of themselves unboxing fixes or referring yeah. uh, their, their friends to the product. And so this is a muscle that we've been really building into the, the company. And I think we're just scratching the surface of the opportunity there. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, we, you know, because we have both IT visionaries and marketing trends podcasts that I have the opportunity to talk to CIOs and CMOs. It is fascinating how in B2B companies, how aligned or misaligned sometimes the CIO and the CMO are or CTO and CMO are when there's so much crossover now that there's never really happened before. Yeah. Yeah. And we just hired a new CMO Deirdre Finley, and she gets working at tech companies and she gets the collaboration with a technology organization. Great to partner with her and, and see that collaboration across our organizations. I want to talk about mobile specifically for a little bit and, and kind of the technologies that will enable more mobile going forward. How do you view mobile as this essentially mandatory rise of everybody, you know, being on smart devices and all of that. How do you see mobile from like a customer experience standpoint? And how do you like push the limits of what is helpful on mobile from a technology standpoint? We see the majority of our clients using mobile. So everything we do is with a mobile first lens. So when we're building features, whether it's for the mobile web interface or for our iOS applications, it's just something that we design right into the experience. And it's funny because uh, our stylus applications are designed to be done on desktops, but I can still bring it up on my mobile phone. It's not the best uh, optimized experience, not recommended for the the level of detailed work that our stylists need to do, but just given the tool set that we have, it still works. And so I think, I think that, you know, you just think it's the first thing that you pick up on in the day when you wake up and that's how our clients are as well. I think that it's still a big leap to install an app. And so we don't see as many people signing up for the first time on the iOS application. They're more likely to do it from their phone or tablet or laptop. But I think for the getting the continual engagement, the people that are checking out, the people that are, are um, engaging with their stylists and working with Style Shuffle, which to talk about, are oftentimes using mobile. What was the kind of impetus for launching that? Yeah, so uh, we have a great feature called Style Shuffle, which allows customers to see images and give a thumbs up, thumbs down on whether they like it or not, kind of like a hot or not type of experience. Yeah. It was started as a little hackathon project by one of our data scientists, and uh, he built it as a Facebook Messenger app, and it far exceeded all of our expectations for engagement. You know, just uh, really knocked things out of the water, and we realized we had something here that was engaging and of interest to our clients. So we've built it into our application, and uh, now we have over 1.5 billion ratings from our clients who are, are selecting to engage with us in this way. And for the clients that are playing with the app, we're able to send them better fixes now. It's more data points. We get to know more about their interests and dislikes. We actually learn even better when they're disliking things. It's an even stronger signal for us. And so it's, it's just a fun way going back to that flywheel example is the more information that we can get, the better we can do and the more that people want to continue engaging with us. And I think that's what happens that when you make it fun, it doesn't seem like a burden or intrusive, but really a way to get to know someone better. I mean, when you talk about 
the rise of like AR, for example, of when you're able to walk around in actual stores and give thumbs up and thumbs down, like my goodness, it's, I mean, it's just such a fascinating thing that like part of the human condition that we do, which is you see someone and you go, I like that outfit or I don't like the outfit. Uh And to give someone a super easy way to, you know, to gamify it, to play the game. And ultimately by doing that, you know, it's fun. It might be something they want to do on their phone anyways. They're probably, you know, doing it, whether, you know, back in the day it was in whatever, okay magazine or, or whatever, where they were looking through things and and saying, I like this or I don't like this. Now they get to do it. And it also informs their personal stylist. I, I think that it's just such a, it's such a great feature and it's such an interesting, you know, use case of how to give someone something very simple that is binary. It's like, one or the other, right? There's no sliding scale. There's nothing like that. You, yes. you have one, one choice. Exactly. You made such a good, interesting and good point here about the things that are, you're thinking about in your head when you're walking around and looking at things. And, and you know, I think that that's why traditional e-commerce doesn't work for apparel. Because when you go into a store, there's so much that goes into your head about like, hey, will I even walk towards that thing on the shelf over there on the mannequin? Um, is it of interest to me in the style and the silhouette and the color? And then there's, there's so much that goes into like whether you'll take it off of the rack and bring it into a dressing room to try it on. And then once you try it on, there's so many things that are going through your head about how it makes you feel and how it fits and how comfortable it is versus not and what you think of the fabric and what you think of the price that will you know, go through your head to, to take you up to the cash register to, to actually buy it. And that's information that no retailer has. When you go to the store, you're thinking about that all in your head and you never tell the, the person at the store what you're thinking about that. And so that's what I think this huge opportunity is for us is, is we're actually having a conversation with people along the way about those things that are in the back of their head. Uh, how do we tease that out so that we can get better and better with, with our personalization and recommendations? Yeah, I think another thing is trends, right? There's so many fashion trends that happen so quickly. And then, you know, 10 years later, we are all deleting photos because we can't believe that we we wore those things. But in the, in the, what, you know, when the rolled up skinny jeans are hot, you need to get them. And I think that there's something really interesting about this idea that you can not only bring in information that informs your own decisions, but you can bring in outside information, data from other sources to inform what those kind of things are and bring that to people's minds. Say like, hey, you know, this is something that is super popular right now, or, you know, you should not wear boat shoes like, you know, ever. But we see that a lot with our clients that they want to use Stitch Fix as a service to help them discover new things. Yeah. Uh, things that are not the exact thing that they've bought before, but new trends that they may not have been exposed to that are perfect for them, perfect for their size, perfect for their interest. So really tying that all together and giving them some expert advice. Yeah. I I mean, I think that people generally want to know that someone else is thinking about these things Mm -hmm. uh, and that someone else is, is usually a human enabled by robots, right? Like that's when it's really exciting or that's when technology can, can enhance the situation. You know, technology is really good at pattern matching and recognition, but there is a certain amount of like human centricity, especially to fashion or especially to 
you know, our own experiences that ultimately how something looks isn't necessarily the way that it feels. And I think that that element of Stitch Fix is so brilliant that let's combine the, the digital world with the analog world and actually let you wear the thing. What do you see from that type of feedback when people are, you know, sitting at their houses, trying stuff on, sending stuff back and all of that? I, I think that that's just such a great point of, of bringing in humans and machines together that we feel is our secret sauce. But as people are trying things on at home, we have a vast majority of our clients who will then fill out a detailed survey of what they think of each item. So they'll tell us what they thought about the fit, what they thought about the material, what they thought about the style, what they thought about the price. And then uh, they'll give unstructured feedback too um, and say, hey, I already have something similar to this or just it's not fitting well on the shoulders. And so that richness of data really helps us to make sure that we're getting it even better the next fit. It also helps us learn across the board who these pieces of items might be better for. And then we can also share aggregate anonymized data with our vendors to say, hey, you know, the size 12 of these just isn't working. No one's buying them. There's something wrong with the, the cut of them. And they can make adjustments for their next run to make sure that it's fitting better. See, that stuff is really exciting with, with the blending of technology and allowing IT leaders of, of different organizations to connect. One of the ones, when we talked to, the, uh, talked to the former CIO of Palo Alto, and we were talking about how cities, which some of them have CIO, CIOs, the majority do not, are physically sitting at the intersection of the physical world and the digital world. And so many of the products around them shape their cities. So when someone like Waze, for example, can give you a mountain of data about how your city streets are being used that you don't have access to, it's a really interesting like collaboration. Have you seen the people who are making all of the fixes, how do they use and inform their product to be able to provide better customer service? So our vendors love to work with us. They uh, really love the partnership that uh, we bring to the table. And, and, and so we do give them reports on, on how their products are selling and, um, and what we're seeing based on the trends. Some of our clients that we have open purchase orders with, that we might have uh, monthly or quarterly buys from, they'll, they'll wait for these reports uh, before they do their next run just to make sure that any feedback that's coming from us gets on the fly sent out to their factories to make sure that they're making any adjustments needed. And I love that aspect of it, that we're making this industry better. Clothing's a pretty wasteful industry. And if we yeah. can help um, reduce the waste and make products better, not just for Stitch Fix, but the industry-wide, that's something I can be really proud of. Yeah. I mean, I'm waiting for... Uh, I know there's a lot of food delivery services and stuff like that, but I'm waiting for the and I know there's a, a lot of stuff like this, but the, the stitch fix of food where we can stop wasting like millions and billions of pounds of food every single day. But I, it's, it's, the same, it's the same sort of thing that I, I think that we all knew that there's just this massive amount of waste, but you'd never see like the long tail of that type of waste. You never see where all of those clothes go at the end of the day? Like, I have no idea. Can you talk about like this idea of waste and how you as a company work to fight against that? 
mean, I think it really is starting from the beginning of the supply chain and thinking about very accurate forecasting of our demand model and what the client makeup will look like. So we as a company turn our inventory a lot faster than other companies. And with that, we can operate at better margins and, um, and have less waste in the overall system. So you've said in the past that you like to break the mold. What are some of the things that in your like day-to-day activities that you do as a CTO that you kind of feel like break the mold a little bit that other aspiring leaders or, or CIOs or CTOs could apply to their own jobs? I'm frequently told that I'm unlike any other CTO that people have worked with. And uh, I don't know whether that's an insult or a compliment, but I'm going to take it as a compliment. Um, particularly, both, you know? <laughs> people um, are really seem to be surprised that I'm as interested in other parts of the business. So that I'm constantly asking questions about how our merchandising systems are working or styling or our warehouse operations. And I think those, those questions and having that open mind to how things are working enables me to make sure that we're investing the right technology, making the right technology investments that is going to drive the highest value to the business. And so I'd say that that is my thing that like, I just love solving problems. It doesn't have to be, you know, I, I love technology and, and certainly lean there. But the thing that is very great about my team is that we're always, always asking what's the problem we're trying to solve. And sometimes we can come up with process changes or system changes instead of application changes that have an easier way to solve the same problem. And so I think that that's, that's my differentiator is, is really coming in and making sure that I can translate business problems into technology and technology into business opportunities. With how much you're focused on the customer and, you know, you have 2.7 million, so you have <laughs> millions and millions of people to yeah. worry about, people to clothe. And there's a lot of, obviously, all of your organizational energy is, is, is going towards, towards serving those folks from like a product standpoint. Do you ever feel like the employees at the company and the technology that you're thinking about looking at vendors and looking at technologies for your employees, do you ever feel like that is not as big of a priority or is it something that you just need to constantly right set and just say, hey, we need to make sure that our employer that our employees have the best tools possible to be successful. People matter the most. And so really making sure that we're investing in our people, giving them the tools that they need to do their job is, is my highest priority. Because I feel like if everybody is working um, and has the right values and is in service of the, the clients, that we're going to be successful. And so I think it's important that we keep that client mindset in every single employee. And we do a lot to connect our employees to the customer. But yeah, I think it is making sure that we're investing in our platform tools and developer productivity tools and you know, giving them the right systems to, to be successful in their job. With regards to new technologies, what types of stuff are you excited about or working on? You know, I, I, I kind of mentioned AR and VR. Obviously, that stuff is going to be a huge part of our future. How are you looking at that stuff? How do you vet those type of technologies? Are you, obviously, you know, you mentioned doing a hackathon. Do you do, you know, hackathons internally? Do you do, you know, citizen development internally? Are you looking at startup technology? Like, how do you, how do you kind of 
keep up with the uh, technology Joneses, so to speak? Yeah, it's a, it's a little mix of, of both. We don't really have a lot of formal hackathons as much as give people time and freedom to, to look at and explore new technologies or, or new projects. And so I think making sure that people have a little bit of flex time to, to be able to, to do those important projects is, is really important. I'd say we've got a lot of interest in fit challenges. So I'd say that there is not good solutions out in the industry yet for how to make sure that we really know people's sizes. And Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Please, can you talk a lot more about that? Because <laughs> I, I'm right there. Between me and my girlfriend talking about like sizing and how we both have weird sizes, it's, it's crazy. It's like crazy town that we invented these super esoteric sizing models and this is just what we do. It's right. wild. Yes, yes. So we're, I don't think that this is a solved problem yet. We're investing here both internally as well as looking at other startups and technologies in the space. And I have to say, I'm not sure that anyone's got a lock on this yet. This is, this is a good problem. If uh, there are people out there who want to build out some startups, I think, I think that this is a, a big problem to, for people to tackle right now. But I'd say the way that we're approaching the problem right now is by asking a lot of questions about things that are tricky sizing-wise for you. So is why are, are you having particular fit problems? Is it because things are usually too long or too wide or too narrow? Is it the shoulders? Is it the thighs? Is it around the middle? And then also asking what brands tend to work well, because it's really interesting to see the brands that people select and each of them tend to have their own fit model of, that they're modeling after. And then internally, what we do is we do, uh, we have a project called Points of Measurement, where when we get samples of each items, we are taking dozens of points of measurements to figure out, okay, for this button-down shirt, what are the dimensions at the shoulders, across the chest, at the waist, at the hips, uh, how long are the sleeves, how wide are the sleeves? And, you know, interesting enough, we find that a men's dress shirt has more points of measurements that matter than a woman's blouse. Which yes. We'll pull that quote. We're, <laughs> we're going to post that everywhere. Thank you. I went to a store. Oh, I'm so surprised by it. even the measurement of how far down the first button is, uh, is really important for a man. And so that, yeah. that's really interesting for us to find. It's almost like there's entire companies that are just built on untucking a shirt or like these sort of things. It's hilarious to me because it's just, it's a great reminder that the answers are all around us every single day. And it's so cool to see things like that happen where people just accept the status quo for so long. It's like, Hey, maybe there's, maybe there's a few more sizes than, you know, small, yeah. medium, large, extra large, you know, XXL. Like it, it's, it's just so crazy. But you do have shirts where like, this is, if I unbutton this one, it's like showing some chest is a little weird. I don't want to wear that to work. Some, you people, know. Like it. some people don't. It's, it, you know, it's just a, it's a preference. And I'm not, you know, everyone has their own unique challenges. It's just yeah. interesting. It's interesting to see that that is very contrarian to what I think the market would yeah. believe. And again, both sides of like men's and women's clothes or, or whatever you're buying or mismatching, any of that sort of stuff. It's more about the fact that the data can, can bear out things that we didn't know or that people always suspected, but turns out are actually true. Are, are there any other insights that you, any other nuggets like that? Because that's great. Yeah. Let me come back to it as I, as I think, but we're constantly finding 
surprising results in, in how we're looking at things. And, you know, I think that there's some interesting nuggets for how we've learned about our clients' onboarding experience. You know, going back to the conversion and acquisition side of the business, you would think that every other company out there has learned that you try to reduce the friction points in a sign-up flow yeah. to make it as easy as possible to, to get someone to convert. So the fewer clicks, the fewer steps along the way, the better. And for us, we have time and time again found that's not to be the case for yep. our flow. We've got lots of questions. And nine times out of 10, when we remove a question out of the style profile, it actually hurts conversion instead of helps conversion. Or it hurts for, or yeah, it hurts conversion and hurts retention. Like that's the name of the game, right? Like yeah. the name of the game is retention. But the surprising thing was it hurts conversion. So I, I could imagine the retention thing. I could see that that aspect of it, but I was shocked at the sense of like, what do you mean if I have nine questions instead of 10, I would get fewer people signing up. That just broke all of my assumptions about that's fascinating behavior. What we what I talk to a lot of people in the dating world sites, and they see the same behavior. And the reason I think is, is just the mentality of, a, of the person coming to the site. They're actually coming because they're giving up control over aspects of this experience. And they want to know that we get them. They want to know that they can trust us to know enough about them to have, make a good decision on the selection process. And if we happen to remove the one question that they care about, whether it's whether they hate plaid or they would never wear fur or they love bedazzled things on their outfits, they won't have confidence that we get them and that we can serve them well. And so that's, I think, very unique to, to our business model that a lot of other consumer sites don't have. That's so fascinating. And it's such, a, such an insight into the human condition, which well, is people would rather give their trust into someone else to make all of these decisions. Like, Hey, if you get to know me, then, you know, the output of this thing is now something, especially that you're wearing that, you know, all these other people are going to see. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, now I came up with this, right? Like I put in all this stuff. I made the decision to go with this, this stylist. Now I have all of this, you know, whatever. And then you get to brag about it, you know, to your friends about how you're now, you know, increase your, you know, fashion IQ or whatever it is. I think it's a really interesting insight that the trust that you need to develop as a company is so important that you need to ask more, not less. You need to be more observant. And I think sometimes we get the downside of that with things like ads that follow us around all the time or you know, we kind of feel like we're being creeped on. But there's the other side of that, which is when you want something solved, you want it to be done the right way. And the thing that you, know, you haven't had for so long is the person who's listening. Because the, you know, the person at the counter at you know, whatever department store isn't, isn't exactly going to always give you the most uh, candid feedback or their opinion might not be the most important opinion in the world. It goes the other side way as well is if a customer tells us something about themselves, we must listen to it. The worst thing that we can do for a client's trust is send them a red item after they've told us that they hate red. So there's a lot of what we're doing is making sure that we're asking the right questions that we actually can put in front of the stylist or algorithms to make sure that we're listening to every single piece of data that they're giving to us and getting it right for them and not having that mismatched expectation where we're not listening or giving them what they want. 
Yeah, it's a great point about being an active listener, right? Like you can ask all the questions, you know, if you meet somebody and they, they ask a lot of questions, like, wow, this person you know, asks a lot of questions. And then you meet them the next time and they ask you all the same questions. Like, wait, you're just a, you're just a horrible listener. <laughs> um, you, you might just ask a lot of questions. Do you feel like on the employee side, like wearing the more traditional CIO side of things, like the keeping the lights on sort of things, how do you apply those same practices and listening to your employees? So we have a, a very active feedback culture at Stitch Fix, and we talk about asking for feedback and, and giving and receiving feedback as well. So, so it's really important, especially as we're scaling, that we're more intentional about that. We do a lot of employee surveys and get a, what we call a Stitch Fix life score that's really an indication of, of how we're doing as an organization with listening and aligning. And then I have every other week, I have a all hands with my entire organization and um, by an idea from the team, I have a ask me anything section where people can slack questions and others can upvote them. And you know, just on the fly, I'm, I'm answering questions that get to the pulse of what people are concerned about. And so I think it's, it's really about creating the space and giving people trust that their questions will be listened to and that every question is, is wanted and, and it's acceptable. Sorry, I co-opted my, my own question. I get too excited about the sizing. Back to the technology for a little bit. Any other technologies that you're really excited about going forward? You know, I think, I mean, for me, it's not just about the technology, but how it's being applied to the problems that are in front of us. And so there's not like the one like technology that I'm like, oh, we have to go and do this as, as much as thinking about how we're looking at the entire ecosystem and scaling. And so for us, I'd say... It was some of the big technical challenges that we're working on is as the scale of the company has grown up so fast, uh, we had a monolithic database and we're really moving from a micro applications architecture to a microservices architecture. And, you know, it, I'd say that there's you know, complexity around how we're doing that while still moving the business forward. But it's a really important thing from the developer productivity standpoint and a flexibility for how we expand to international uh, sites and, and other business lines for, for us to have a more flexible model. I want to switch gears a little bit to some of the more human-centric stuff that you've dealt with in, in your career. You talked a lot about mentorship and what that has looked like in, in your career and specifically about you know, balancing personal life and, and burnout and how that's a, that's a really important thing. How has like mentorship and, and being a leader and kind of seeing burnout happen, having it to yourself, like how do you view those things as kind of an, an important interchangeable, you know, ecosystem? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's really about creating a culture for everyone <clears throat> to do their best work here at Stitch Fix. But also be able to sustain that for a very long period of time. And so if you have everybody running at 110%, at some point, they're going to hit a wall and the overall impact is, is not going to be as great. It's kind of like being able to predict things in an agile scrum environment. You want teams to be able to, to be improving their velocity in a sustainable way so that you don't, so that you can have more predictability and you can get teams that are happier and more enjoying the work that they're doing as they're being successful. And so I think, I think it's really about having the space to have teams 
sign up for the work themselves. So teams are really bought into what we're trying to accomplish as a company and as an organization. And they're part of the process of, of figuring out the dates and figuring out the scope and, and the timing for when they can get it done. They know what's at stake and they're all running to, to try to achieve the best we can. But by putting it and self-empowering the team to sign up for the work and to, to plan out our schedules, it allows teams to be creating the space to, to have a, an environment where they're going to want to be here for a long time. As you know, Salesforce is our wonderful presenting sponsor of this podcast. And you spent a number of years at Salesforce. Do you have any good Salesforce or Dreamforce stories that you want to share? Uh, you know, I spent seven years at Salesforce and I, I learned a lot while I was there. And just, I, I love the rapid growth that we had while I was at, at Salesforce. The culture there is very strong as well. And, and I think that one of the things that I appreciated is the level of investment into the engineering managers and really creating a culture of support and empowering engineers there. And so that's something I've really taken with me at Stitch Fix as well to, to make sure that we're setting up the work for success. Favorite Dreamforce moment? Oh, favorite Dreamforce moment. Man, there's so many. I don't have like a wacky Layla uh, Dreamforce moment story. Uh, you know, I just, to me, I loved going and, and seeing the customers. So it was just in a lot of the other companies that I've been, I was so disconnected from the actual customer that getting to walk around and having customers come up and talk about this feature that we developed being, you know, changing their day and like, and how they worked was, was really incredible. And so, so that connection was very inspiring. And that's something that we really try to talk about here at Stitch Fix. So at Stitch Fix, I style a couple of fixes every week and we- you, Wait, really? Yep. Yep. And we, we encourage all of our engineers and all of our employees to do the same. Do you share this? Is this like public? Like, can you, yeah. can you yeah, yeah. like, no kidding. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. So, Katrina Lake, our CEO, she styles fixes every week. And we encourage people during new hire orientation to go through the stylist training and to style fixes. And it's, it's just so great to understand the clients and see their experiences. I get so excited when a customer buys all five items. I also get really sad when I don't get it right. And for some reason, they're not happy and don't have a successful experience. Oh, that's uh, hilarious. Work even so harder. you actually know? So you know like if people choose Kathy's oh, yeah. stuff? Oh, so that's so great. When we send out a fix, the same style, the checkout survey that you fill out goes back to the stylist so that they can know for the next time how to get it better. And, um, and so they read every piece of feedback. It drives them to want to do more and do better. So do they know it's you? Uh, they know it's Kathy. Um, that is so funny. Uh, I'm going to be like cruising around on there and just try to find the ones that that I'm just going to, can we query all Kathy's? Is that like an option? Is that functionality? You don't for product? A stylist as a, as a client, your stylist gets assigned through um, a matching algorithm. And we do a lot to make sure that you get style, you get a match for the right stylist. That's going to serve you the best. After you check out, you get a question about whether you want the same stylist for next time or you want a new one or you don't care. And so we really try to honor that request and you know, keep the stylist that's working really well with you for a long-term relationship or mix it up if you want to try someone new. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I, um, that's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because you can see some of the dynamics of like, oh man, there's so many items I want to put in this fix. And, you know, sometimes it can be great. And there's other times where you're like, man, I, I, like, I just don't see the inventory right now. And, and that drives our team to figure out ways that we can be doing better at inventory optimization or, or, or having different modes of styling to make sure that we have fewer and fewer of those experiences and, and more of the ones that we can really knock it out of the park. That's super fun. Speaking of super fun, you know what else is super fun? The lightning round. Where okay. We ask fast and easy questions, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. Fast and easy. You can build fast and easy apps on the lightning platform by Salesforce. Thanks to our friends at Salesforce for being the exclusive sponsor of our podcast. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? And it can't be Stitch Fix. Oh, man. Uh, I'm using a lot of LinkedIn right now because I'm doing a lot of hiring. Oh, nice. Open Rex. Where, uh, where, can, where can people find that? We'll link it up in the, in the show notes. Great. Uh, it's stitchfix.com slash careers. We'll, we'll link it up. Any fun positions? Oh. Lots of tech. So many software engineering, IT positions. We have some leadership roles as well. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put it in there. Uh, favorite time-saving tool? <laughs> Pen and paper. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> haven't, haven't got that one yet. I do a lot of list making and, and for whatever reason, writing things out really helps me. And so uh, as much as I have a lot of productivity apps, when I get really crunched, I'm, I pull out the pen and paper. Yeah, it helps, with, it helps with memory for whatever reason. Favorite podcast or recent book that you've uh, listened to or read? So traditionally, I'm, I'm really excited about the first 90 days and I keep bringing it back as I get a new oh, part it's great. of the uh, organization and I recommend it for every new hire that I bring on board. I, I love that book. I do the same thing. That's great. It's really fun. Yeah, that's a great book. Every that and um, one of the other Lou Adler books about um, the one interview question is great. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's sort of, so I, I don't think that's the name of the book. I've heard what it's called, but uh, it's similar, similar sort of thing. Uh, super helpful for, for hiring managers. Favorite one day getaway in the Bay Area? I'm going to go with Monterey. No, can I go Tahoe? Tahoe or Monterey? You can say <laughs> both. A little bit of a long ride, but I do like skiing. And then we've had some good uh, time going to the aquarium and we've been doing an escape room down in Monterey. Oh, that's fun. Speaking of that, what do you do for fun? So I spend a lot of time with my two kids. I've got an eight-year-old and 12-year-old and they keep me pretty busy. I've also started doing a boot camp down in Burlingame and uh, that's been getting me better fit. But you know, I love games and puzzles and for more exotic things, I enjoy doing escape rooms. I've never done an escape room. I'm waiting for it. I, I, we, we should, maybe, maybe our team at uh, Mission will uh, Palace we'll Games, I recommend. Which one? Palace Games over at the Palace of Fine Arts. Yeah, that sounds super fun. I love Palace of Fine Arts. Yeah, that's great. Maybe we'll do it for our offsite. Okay, final question of the lightning round. What's your best advice for a first-time CTO? Invest in people. So I think the, the people are the most important things as, as you're building out the organization. And, and the best thing that I focused on was, was scaling the organization and just really have been seeing amazing results from the team. I just get so excited every time I see new things getting shipped by the amazing engineers that we have. I love it. That's it. That's all I got. Anything else? Any final words? Uh, I don't think so. This was great. A lot of fun. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for hanging out. And uh, we'll keep you in mind for our future. We're going to do some, uh, some CIO CTO roundtable stuff. Would love to have you in studio and, uh, and hanging out and talking shop. That sounds great. Thanks a lot. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.